I'm there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Welcome to another episode of A Conversation with Open Minds. Today, we're going to talk to you about a very serious subject. We're going to talk to you about the police and police reform. But we're going to dig a little deeper into that, and we're going to kind of break it down into different subjects. But before we get into all of that, I will introduce the man on the right, usually running in the door at the last minute, is Mr. Randall. Buongiorno, everybody. Buongiorno. Buongiorno. Holding it down. Unfortunately, today, uh, the guy on the left, Noah, is on assignment and will come back with some very important news because apparently the president called him and he has to fly to Afghanistan. (laughs) He has to do some peace talks in Afghanistan. So (laughs) he will come back with some very exciting news as to what's going on there. And hopefully we will have peace in Afghanistan. Yeah. So we have Middle East. Yeah, exactly. So. (laughs) With that being said, we have invited a, another third, mm-hmm. and uh, this particular gentleman is a good friend of ours, somebody that we've known for a little while. He uh, has some very interesting opinions, I would say, to say the least, um, and also very funny at times. Um, he is our slightly Brazilian, slight Cuban, slight <laughs> African-American, slight Venezuelan, slight, you name it, he is it, friend from Odessa, Texas. Mm-hmm. Well, Bonjourno, everybody. Bonjourno, Bonasera, Bonasera. So wait, who speaks the third best Italian? Gringo Moreno in the house. A Gringo Moreno in the house. <laughs> yeah. I'm second now. He third. Like He's when he third come on, he'll be third. Yeah, I moved up to second. I elevated right. myself to second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, so yes, we're going to talk about police reform. We're going to break it down into different subjects, and today's subject is going to be about their tactics and training, and how can we make that better or different. Um. And so I will just say, let's just go from there, fellas. What do you have to say on that? Whoever wants to okay. go first. Well, I'll start. I'll, I'll kind of start here with, you know, police reform or police training. I just feel like in today's world with policing being the way it is and with, as we can see on TV, everything going on, I think that we need to either dive back into uh, reshaping either police departments or police training or both because I feel like uh, one, they're engaging in the community too much to have too little training. Like um, we're basically, and let me first start off by, I don't want to bash here. Uh, Officers of the law, whether they're a corrections officer, uh, police officers on the street, they all do a very important, dangerous job. Correct. And we get that. Um, but I think in doing that job, it is uh, we have to jump into the new age of what we're doing here. Um, oftentimes in the, you know, I grew up 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, police officers, budgets were big. Um, they were asked to do a lot. You asked to uh, go on these domestic disputes. You asked to go on these mental health uh, calls. You asked to basically um, the, you call you police officer for everything is almost like 911. You call you police officer and fire department for everything. Um, and we're finding out that when we're focusing on policing, that they nine times out of 10 don't have the training to deal with some of these calls. Um, I think that, especially as we've seen the last maybe five to 10 years, I think that uh, some of the calls that they've gone on, some of the stories that we've seen in the media, um, that either we need to get better training or longer training for police officers uh, to focus their attention on or get somebody out there with them. Like, uh, let's say the program they're doing in Minneapolis where they're actually having uh, case managers and psychologists ride on some of these calls or have their own vehicles come on some of these calls that can Mm -hmm. uh, kind of curtail some of the incidents that are happening because in the news you see um whether it's racially you're dealing with um police officers going in the neighborhoods they generally don't live in the people mm-hmm. don't look like them they don't have a connection to that community and they're asked to police so i mean how hard is it you know i'm putting myself in a police officer's shoe how hard is it going to be going into an environment where you you don't look like the people you don't really associate with the people and you don't have any cultural ties with the people there um, now imagine 
putting on top of that a mental health aspect. You're going to that same house with those same issues, all of that with a mental illness break or a mental health issue right. um, applied to that. So um, my thing is that I think we need to up the training. We can do several different things. I mean, we'll get into the police training tactics, but I just wanted to shape the conversation starting there so we can go so, through. So with you saying that, it kind of brought an idea into my head that, um, so basically they're like the corrections officer of the streets. Because you're saying that they don't deal with the people that are out there, like corrections officers, they don't fraternize with the, 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 you know, the convicts, they don't deal with that. They're basically there to make sure nothing goes, quote unquote, wrong. Um, so, yeah, I almost feel like that's what they are. And yes, they should be that to a certain degree. But as you say, changing with the times, because now you're dealing or we're trying to deal more with mental health, I also think they have to deal with that themselves. Bringing somebody in, is a, it's a nice Band-Aid, I think, but I don't believe that will be the solution because you're also bringing that one person into a dangerous situation or a potentially dangerous situation, and they're not police tactically trained. Um, so I think at some point in the training, I think police have to now start dealing with those issues a little bit more because remember they're supposed to de-escalate so mm -hmm. yes. de-escalating the situation and dealing with somebody who's got a mental health issue that's what you're supposed to be doing and in the stories that we have seen over the last few years they're escalating the situation to the point that the person ends up dead so mm -hmm. they need to go back to de-escalating even if you've got seven of you against one seven of you should be able to de-escalate a situation if you're trained properly Correct. So, so yeah, I mean, that, that's, I, you know, I understand exactly what you're saying, but I think that's where kind of my viewpoint kind of stands on that. And like you say, once again, we're not bashing them. We're not saying they're not doing a good job. We know that their job is extremely and potentially dangerous, but we're saying that there can be a better way to handle what has been going on over the last 10 years or more that has now, you know, heightened the awareness to a lot more people than before. And I have, I have, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, man. I, no, no, I was about to say, I have some more stuff on their focus training, but I'm going to let Will, you know, come in here since he's our guest, because I really want to hear, yep. you know, what he has to say on this, this, this uh, police reform focus on police training. Ahead, Will. Yo, so I think by and large, what y'all are speaking on is, um, I can tell where y'all, more or less where y'all going with the, the, the whole context of y'all's conversation and uh, I'm in agreement with that I think it's it's yeah I think the the the, the issue is is when you speak about policing in America you can't talk on policing especially now and not speak of the uh, the disparity the racial disparity the mm -hmm. racial component yeah um, who's who's incarcerated why they're incarcerated mm -hmm how long they're incarcerated for in relation to um, other, other uh, races, mm -hmm. for the, even for the same crime. Yes. Um, the history, the history before, you know, before Jim Crow, the history after Jim Crow, hell, I mean, um, the, the, the way minorities are treated with uh, deference, but deference in a, in a, negative connotation uh, <laughs> when it comes to policing um beyond that i think the we're in america all the police officers we have are americans and mm -hmm. i I've, I've, I've always said and i'll i'll parrot it you know until the day i die i think america in general was based on a an institution of bad karma and that karma just keeps resurfacing in mm -hmm. multiple manifestations that if yeah. the, the, the primary issue is not dealt with, we are just kind of glossing over like, um, Ooh, I know what you're talking about. That's deep right yeah, there. Yeah. We're putting, yeah. we're putting a bandaid on something that is indicative. It is a, it is a sign or a symptom of a greater illness in America. And it's not indicative to this one individual or this one person. <laughs> Um, it's a manifestation. Yeah. yeah, it's a manifestation of something that's been going on so long. The people that are perpetrating these issues don't even understand mm -hmm. why. If you actually sat down and talked to them, 
yeah. once everything's calmed down. There's a there's a bigger issue at hand. And I think education mm-hmm. is definitely where that needs to start, but it needs to start before a person decides that they want to become a law enforcement officer. This has to happen from primary school on and it has to become just <clears throat> foundationally, it has to become something that's part of our educational system. If you are an American, mm-hmm. there's certain things you understand inherently because mm-hmm. you have been inundated with this information. It's not knocking somebody over the head about you're white, you're black. It's right. this is where we are coming from as a nation, not black people or white people. This is our nation. This is where Ooh. we're coming from. And this is where we're trying to go. Now, let me ask and you something, Will. Let me, let me ask you something. I don't, I don't mean to cut you off. No, you're good. But you, you hit on a great topic. And I don't want to go too far off it, but, man, you hit on a gold mine. Now, in talking about those themes about we're all Americans, why do we always feel that way when it's, like, tragic? Like, 9-11 is coming. Up. Now, we're, yeah. now we're, like, we're all Americans. We don't look at black and white. You know what I'm saying? When we face these yes, tragedies, we tend to go to that realm. But once we come out of those tra- tragedies, we revert back to, is it what we know, you think? Or, or is it how we've always been? Or which one is us? Which one is I, America, you know? Yeah, I think, we're so, I think we're socialized into, and, I, and I'm, you know, I'm, this is my, my lens. This is me talking to you as a, well, at least I'm perceived. Well, what I'm perceived as, I don't know. But as what I am. <laughs> I was raised as a white man and as a white man in America, this is how I see other things happening. Now, Mm -hmm. as I've grown, as I've become more cultured and I'm not talking about, you know, knowing what wine to cheese will, you know, and what what wine to go with. (laughs) But like culturally on a, on a, a foundational level being cultured to the point where I understand, Hey, I don't know it all. I want to know, and I don't want to know just so I appear to be more with it than I am. I want to know so that I'm a more well-rounded human being. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I think this this is indicative of uh, any uh, ethnicity or race within America. We have been socialized to see every other race mm-hmm. as different, inherently different for whatever mm-hmm. reasons that, that, are, that are articulated to us as we grow up. And uh, those differences then make it where we're, we're, we're not the same, but beyond not being the same, it's that as mm-hmm. is, you know, coming back to being a law enforcement officer, regardless of who you are, and, I'm, and I might be misspeaking, but if I'm a black law enforcement officer and I grew up wherever I grew up, I am still socialized through the media through accounts, um, whether it's entertainment, how people are socialized in America, that if I see a black man walking down the street, he is perceived as a threat more than a white man in the same context. Whatever. I agree with that. I agree with that. And I'm a black man. I agree with that. That's that's conditioning. That's called that's conditioning. That's conditioning as an American. And that's to me, it's not a it is a race thing, but it's Mm -hmm. a race thing on the base level of we are all as Americans conditioned that race is, is a relative issue to what we need to be actually paying attention to. And ultimately it's not, it should mm-hmm. be, it is, but it should mm-hmm. not be. If that makes sense. I, I, that might be a little, no, that makes perfect that makes sense. sense. I totally agree with that. Yeah, that make, uh, yeah, that make perfect sense. Um, go ahead, KT. I'll let you. No, no, go ahead, man. Go ahead, man. No, I was saying um, that, Oh man, I want to get on that. So I, but I got to steer back to this, police training man you hit the nail on the head right there man uh conditioning but let me get back to this police reform how do you guys feel about training so i was looking up some facts and that the average amount of time for like a police academy or for somebody somebody if they got selected to go to the police academy is 21 weeks that's the average amount of time now we live in the great state of florida and it says about six to seven months six months i think i looked up and then the standards for the state of Florida I looked up is, you know, they look at your background, you got to take a test, you got to take some type of PT evaluation. And I looked at the psychological part of it because I, to me, I focused in on that because like Will said, how you're conditioned, 
how you view people, how you walk around is important to me. And um, it said that you get a, you do get a psychological evaluation screening, but it's just to see if you can do the rigor the rigors of the police work, not to see how you relate to others or see if you um I don't I want to say it right. It's it's when you give get the psychological screen, it's to see if like you can deal with the stress of being a police officer. That makes sense. Not yeah, yeah not to see um, how you work with others, how you work, how you um, merge into different cultures or how you would handle certain situations, you see. Um, I think that they should have, once you become a police officer, you should have psychological evaluations at least once a year. I think you should have random training uh, more than they have. Like I also, Aside from the psychological part of it, I looked up because I wanted to know, well, why do police officers, when they shoot, they shoot to kill? So I looked at some of the police unions and I looked up some information. And basically, was police unions were saying, their psychological tests, that they're saying that it's actually harder to shoot somebody and maim them in the arm or leg, which, yeah, it makes sense. I get that when you're talking about shooting. It's harder to shoot somebody in the arm or leg and not kill them than to shoot somebody in the chest. And that's the first reason. And the second reason, they say you might not eliminate the threat when you shoot them in the arm or leg, i.e. If, if you shoot them in the left arm, they might have a knife in the right and still be or a gun in the right and still be able to kill somebody. What I'm saying, I'm going to throw it over to you guys, is I think along the lines of KT, what happens to the de-escalation training? Before it gets to that, why is a mental health issue, a mental health call turned into a murder? So where is that training? I'm going to throw it to you guys and, and kind of take it from there. Well, I think the I, this is this is not to belittle um, anybody's profession It's definitely not to belittle um, officers because I have officers in my family. So, I, you know, you know, that that's not that's not where this is coming from from but if you look at um you look at uh, when you are raising a child or you're you're talking to uh, somebody that's beneath you and uh i don't mean that uh i don't know like morally just beneath you like you have more power than this human right i get it yep <clears throat> you're more apt to if you are in a bad place mentally or you're frustrated you're fatigued mentally um or you feel threatened, you will kind of go to the lowest common denominator yeah. quicker. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. If there is a if there is the possibility that somehow you could become accountable or held negligible for your actions um, beyond being, you know, being above board the whole time with either your conversation or how you deal with that individual, um, you're quicker or more apt, human nature-wise to just go to whatever's going to get the job done to allow me to get and move on with my day as safely as possible. If that makes sense, okay. whether that's morally or physically, however that transpires. Um, and I, I think one of the, one of the, the issues with policing is, is that there is an us against them mentality where you were going to protect each other's backs. We're going to get mm -hmm. through the shift. We're going to go home alive. And that's, to me, that's that's it's it's not horrible as far as them saying that because everybody, <laughs> you should yeah. have to go to a job in fear for your life. But yeah, this particular job is inherently dangerous. It is mm -hmm. depending upon what you're doing as a law enforcement officer. It could be that is your daily mm -hmm. that's your daily struggle because that's that stress. Yes, um, and I don't pretend to know what that's like on a day in day out going to work where there's a distinct possibility I could get into something that I might not come back. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't want to, I don't want um, to, to make light of that, that stress because I don't know what that stress is. So I don't want to speak on that, but what I do want to speak on is what I have seen personally. And that is that when this, the, there's a point where something could be deescalated, like KT is saying, 90% of the time, there is a dismissive 
attitude from the officer to the person where this could have been handled in a very benign, Mm -hmm. very, just very, just touch and go basis where it's like, I don't really need to deal with this because what you're saying to me is not relative Mm -hmm. and I will dismiss you respectfully and move on with what needs to transpire in order for this, 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 uh, this meeting or the, you know, this confrontation, <laughs> if you will, yeah. to yeah. move on. Yeah. But a lot of times what I have seen personally is that that power emboldens that person knowing that there's nothing that's really going to pass by me that, that I can't handle. And I can more or less do as I wish to an extent mm-hmm. with this individual and somebody along this, you know, this whole trip will, will co-sign my behavior as acceptable yeah. and I won't be held accountable if there was something I did do wrong. Yeah. Up into, you know, obviously the extreme examples of either, you know, inflicting personal, you know, like some sort of personal injury on this person or potentially killing them. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there becomes a point where what is that disconnect that has allowed that human in that link? What from, behavioral psychological to Mm -hmm. being groomed once they become a law enforcement officer where is that disconnect to give an example will the i can't think of his name uh the officer in minneapolis minnesota that just got convicted yeah um derek Derek chauvin so he was yeah so he (laughs) yeah yeah so he was in the in the courtroom and, uh, you know, I, li- I tried to look at it because I'm just I don't watch too much national news. But I mean, it was on every local channel, too. And uh, he was calm, cool, collected when that verdict came down, the look on his face. And of course, you know, he had a look of disbelief. And, uh, you know, all these memes was out, you know, taking at him or whatever. But I remember distinctly uh, telling Noah and telling KT, I think we're on the podcast, I said he he should look like that. I understand it totally why he looks like that, because in his mind, he's like, wait a minute. I've seen countless trials of white cops murdering black men, black women, whoever, and getting off. Why are you waiting until my trial to make an example of me? Not saying it's right or wrong. I I think it's totally wrong. But in his mind. He's been conditioned, like you say, Will, to accept or to dismiss somebody that looks different as however he views them. I don't want to put words in his mouth, mm-hmm. but um, he callously and just calmly murdered somebody. And it was OK because he's probably been uh, down that road and conditioned so much to say people that look like that or act like that or act a certain way, they don't deserve to live. So he's probably seen that in television and movies and he's seen it at work. So he's conditioned. His mind is like, oh, you know, it's okay because this person was probably doing something wrong anyway. So in his mind, when they said guilty, it was like a slap in the face. He's looking around like, how dare you give me a guilty verdict when I've seen for countless years uh, black people get murdered in the street and white cops get off, you know? Um, so what do you guys say about that? Well, what I've been thinking as you guys are talking, I started to realize that it is a us versus them mentality that I think mm-hmm. that they have. So when they go into work, they have to mentally arm themselves to deal with the fight that they're going to fight when they go out there, whether it just be guys mouthing off in the street, whether it actually be, you know, something that they actually have to deal with. It is that us versus them mentality. And I say that because from what little bits that I've seen, there is this direct, um, there is this direct, um, can't even think of the word, confrontation that Mm -hmm. the minute minute that happens, um, it's now suddenly you have to do what I say. Mm-hmm. Even if what you're saying is stupid, even if you're telling me to stand on one leg and bark like a dog, you have to do that. If not, I'm going to cuff you, arrest you, and put you in the back of the school. There's no benefit of doubt. 
Right. And so you know, you're, they're yeah. almost treating you like a parent who says to you, go to your room, but, but don't, but nothing, just go to your room. They, they, they're not listening to whatever's going on now because that doesn't matter because now they're in charge and they need to deal with this. And the only way they can deal with it is to cuff you and put you in the back of the car and take you downtown to do whatever, for whatever reason. But to them, that's their way of dealing with what they now think is a problem. And I think that also translate into lethal force being their first choice mm-hmm. because they're not willing to. But it's sometimes their first choice, KT, depending well, on who's standing there. And we'll that's, ahead, that's yeah. what I'm saying. I'm, I'm in, just in the realm of what we're talking about, that's their first choice. I'm not saying who or what, mm-hmm. but just, you know, there are those that don't do that. But the fact that they don't, are not willing to talk to the person that they're dealing with, that's why lethal force becomes their first choice because it just shuts everything down very quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think in the training, you almost have to train them not to do that. You almost have to train people to listen. You almost have to train people to talk. You have to train people to deal with the differences of the people that are out there. Well, that's why, yeah, that's why I was saying, because when I read the police union report about, you know, we, we want to shoot center mass. We don't shoot the wound. We shoot the kill. So I'm like, okay, I can accept that. That's the police officer's job. I, I'll accept that. Mm-hmm. But if you're saying that's what you're going to do now, that's why I said you need some of these other people, caseworkers, psychologists, buffers to go to some of these calls. Because don't get me wrong, the criminals, I want police officers there to take the criminals off the streets or do whatever they have to do to the criminals. Police officers have their place. But what I where I think um, that officers are failing us is they don't know how to decipher or they don't know how to use their people skills or mental skills to decipher between the chem- the criminals and just regular everyday people having a simple problem that can be fixed. That's why I say you might have to bring in counselors, psychologists, right. you know, people off the streets, because if you're having a mental breakdown, right. um, well, I forgot the case, I forgot it was in Buffalo, wherever the, oh no, it was the one right here in Okoy a few days ago, hmm. right here around where we live at, um, the family called 911. The police came out to the house. They told him on 911, it's a mental call. You know, our brother, he has mental problems. We don't, it's, it's nothing violent. We just want you guys to take control of him. You know, he's mm-hmm. not in a danger. We just, you know, because he has mental problems. They, right. They're explaining it to him because they've been seeing it, seeing everything on TV. And it ended up, they end up murdering the guy. Their guy ended up. Uh, dying they put him in a chokehold or something like that and uh, right here close to where we live it they put him in a chokehold and he died see the, the yeah. thing about that is with you saying that the thing that get, gets me is is they know they're dealing with somebody that has a slight warped view of reality right now and yet mm-hmm. you're looking at them like they're supposed to recognize and understand exactly what you're saying right at that moment and you know that's why you're there that they don't yeah. Which is why they that escalates that entire situation to where the point that they figure now lethal force is the only way this is going to stop. It's almost like they brought it to that point themselves. Mm-hmm. Because you are, and, dealing with a, you are dealing with a person that has no idea right now what really is going on mm-hmm. in, in the world outside. Now, whatever's going on in that person's head, totally different and may not even be a problem. But the fact that the two don't match. And they're trying to get one of them to match. And he's like not listening to them. And then all of a sudden, because it goes back to the not listening to their commands, because the minute that they start telling you that you have to do something, they don't back off that. Don't get me wrong. Like uh, we want police officers in the streets to deal with violent crimes, felonies. Mm-hmm. And I saw this uh, meme. It said that. It was a meme, but I translated it was, you know, we have police officers, but we want police officers to take care of mental health, domestic disputes, land disagreements, you know, but that's not really the job of a police officer. And we're piling all this stuff onto the police officers because the police unions are getting big money Mm -hmm. from the states and the federal government to go into their program. They're getting big budgets. If you look at any state budget, our city budget, budget, uh, police division is going to be one of the biggest parts of it. Right. You know, even if you look at the federal budget, and I just think that it's you know it's twenty twenty one. We need to figure out something different because what we're doing is not working 
for uh, most people now. It's it just not. You know, it's, I just feel that way. So before we get deeply into that, I'll say we'll take a very quick break and come right back. All right, we come back from a short break, and we're going to continue on with what Randall was talking about. Go ahead and rephrase your question, sir. Yes. So uh, I was talking about just the budget and just about, you know, how, um, you know, uh, the police officers, if they just stuck to what they were taught from the beginning and they just stuck to doing that, it would be okay. Their training would be sufficient. And I'm directing this uh, to Will to, to follow up on. But it's like year after years, uh, you know, decade after decade, the police unions are so strong that, you know, police officers, they have to be counselors. You know, they have to be domestic dispute, land dispute. You know, you pile all these things on that officers are not trained to do, you know. And um, like you were saying, when you do get out there, um, we always fall back on what we know. We, I mean, I think everybody wants to be fair i don't i try to get people to benefit it out but when you get in that situation you revert back to what you you know the, the fight or flight you know you you revert back to what you know so i guess what i'm asking is well, how do you feel about um maybe putting somebody else in the field or or upping the training to where police officers need to learn more maybe extending the the training time or maybe like I said, bringing counselors or psychologists or what they're doing in Minneapolis or even to add on to that, you were talking about, you know, how we view each other. Even if a black officer views a black person, sometimes that inherent fear comes out because we condition. Now I'll pose a second question on top of what I asked you before. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to get too much, but why is it that that same officer, and we'll use the black officer for the uniqueness, when they come up against somebody that is Caucasian or white in the same incident, they're given the benefit of the doubt. Like you see these cases where these, you know, white males, guns, they're fighting the police, they're cussing them out, they're beating them up, and you see the police officer steady, calm. Calm down, sir. Calm down. You never see any deadly force. Rarely you see deadly force. It's almost like they're conditioned to say that, well, white means they're okay. They're not going to kill me. They're not dangerous. But black or brown means they can kill me. I got to shoot them. You know, so should should the training be directed towards making better officers through longer training or psychologists and counselors being in those vehicles with those officers? Because we're seeing a different set of rules depending on who we're dealing with and i know that's a lot but i'm gonna pose it to you will okay uh let's see so i think the one of the main issues here is that um at the base is socialization of um how you view another race of you know humans or your own race mm-hmm. through how, how you're uh, conditioned through your upbringing uh, which is probably that's probably a whole nother that's a sociological oh, yeah. thing and in, in and of itself and it's probably it's another podcast we'll bring you back for that one man we'll bring you back that, that. that's definitely a whole nother podcast i think um as far as policing goes um there's two things i think from what i've had discussions with um people that i i know uh either i'm related to or i've known for a while um, policing within a community, a lot of times they, they attempt, they make a very strong attempt to have those officers within that community so that community can see that officer on a regular basis and that officer can see those individuals that live in that community mm-hmm. so that you, you go into a community and if you grew up there, you know who's supposed to be there and who isn't basically, right? Yeah. And those yeah. people know your face so they know, okay, this person's all right. I don't have to worry about this person or vice versa. Um, regardless of the race, um, if the officer was white, Latino, Asian, whatever, um, I think that would play uh, that would play into a lot of um, those issues being mitigated. I think the other issue that you spoke upon is that the fact that it's almost like um, I liken it to being a parent where 
you you don't sign up for all this stuff when you become a parent. Like I didn't know I needed to be a coach and a barber and mm-hmm. a stylist and a you know mental health counselor and a grief counselor and a psychologist and a you know you yeah. stack all these these things onto a person that didn't really sign up for that. And I don't know if when they get into law enforcement within those six or seven months that they're supposed to be getting trained, what exactly are they getting trained on and what are they being let known that these are the instances, this is the bulk of what you will be dealing with is not life or death, but probably moreover, just psychological issues that you need to mitigate down as quickly as possible. You need to de-escalate as quickly as possible. And I've spoke to people within Orlando and um, Orange County's, you know, like the higher ups. And they say that is somewhat indicative of how recently, and I know y'all can probably speak on this too, because um, we're all more or less the same age. It is very hard to have a articulate conversation with people of a certain age, even if they're, mm-hmm. you know, 10 or 15 years younger than us, because of how people are socialized now, it is very hard to have a real conversation and not have an emotional confrontation with somebody without it escalating into kind of like this vitriol of Mm -hmm. this there's there's no turning back at a certain point where it's like even if you stay calm even if you do articulate your point even if you are the bigger you know human when it comes to the confrontation that escalation keeps happening and i've had conversations with officers that say you can see that in the younger generation of officers that are coming up they really don't know how to conversate with another human on that level. Which I'll agree with that. I think I'll that's a, that. I think that's a societal issue beyond just a policing issue. And I, I keep going back to that because these officers are humans, just like everybody else. They've got kids, they got families. They want to, you know, I, I highly doubt that most, most of these people wake up in the morning and are like, man, I can't wait. To kill to somebody. I can't somebody. wait to kill somebody. Yeah. I can't <laughs> wait. I can't wait to lean on somebody or leverage yeah, my yeah. power or make somebody feel less of a human than me. I don't, I want it. Maybe that's just, you know, me being an optimist, but I don't want to think that that's how, and I, I doubt that most human beings that are officers grow up, you know, grow up wanting to be that person. But I do think through socialization, through the miseducation of our, our, you know, our environment and probably that that little bit of six seven months that's not going to condition a human being to handle those stressors correctly if they're not that's, already that's what i'm saying yeah things to begin with um, you need longer training you need better training i, I think, think longer yeah. yeah yeah and i also think that there are mitigating factors that need to be put in place who is going to talk to this person when the dispatch receives this person is a mental disturbance or a, uh, you know, a, you know, some behavioral disturbance or we have some sort of situation that's a domestic issue. Why is the officer the first one to go? Is there mm-hmm. a way to mitigate that where somebody else can come and de-escalate the situation? And then if somebody needs to go to jail, there is some sort of paperwork that does need to be filed that is legal and the law enforcement officer needs to be there, then they show up. But I agree. I think that, um, and you know, on the other hand, society has now been conditioned when they see an officer because of how social media, you know, you know, if it, if it bleeds, it leads. You don't mm-hmm. see any of the officers that are doing good stuff in the community. You don't see those good things. All you do see is the bad things. So as soon as they see them, they already know what time it is. And yeah. that will escalate the situation if the person isn't stable. So I th- I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that, Will. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. When we talk about, uh, we talk, you're talking about the community. I follow this guy um, on social media, uh, Officer Tommy Norman. He's a white guy. He, uh, I think it's Arkansas. He's a police officer over 20 years in Arkansas. He's invested in the community that he lives in. He's a white guy. I know everything not about race, but this is. And he's in uh, predominantly, his beat is predominantly Black people. But what I've seen over just following him and the stuff he posts up, I'm sure not every day is great. 
but he ingratiates himself to the community. I mean, he still holds his standards. I'm a police officer. You're not going to do anything criminalistic in my presence. I'm not going to let you get away with that. But also he's saying, hey, I'm a part of this community. I want to, you know, I want to know uh, this guy and that guy or this young lady. And, and the stuff he does in the community, it's almost like he's built up that equity. So if anybody, it's almost like, okay, what he's done, like when I grew up in the, the area that I grew up, you know, um, nobody trusted the police because they didn't, they didn't have that equity in there. Every time you saw them, you either, hey, don't deal with them or don't say, you know what I'm saying? And partly that is because that's the culture that when sometimes you hear negative stuff from negative people that you grew up in or you've seen negative stuff from police officers. So from either side, you're getting negativity about uh, the police. But what he's done, he's changed it around. He's built up the equity. So people in the community now, um, they want to do right. They want to point out wrong. You know, they don't want uh, their community to be a place where it's a haven for criminals. They actually are a help and a system. He's a vital part of the community. So I guess I'm, I'm, I'm bringing that up to say that it can be done. It might be a little hard work, but it can be done. I just feel like as a society now we're la lazy. I don't want to, because I, I feel like when I say this, I'm harping on the police officers, but I just feel like when you're not invested in where you patrol at, when you don't look like the people there, when you don't care, it's it's easy to do that. And, I'm, and I don't want to say that a police officer job is hard, but I'm like, you will, from the things that I see sometimes, I'm like, man, why can't you de-escalate? I've, I've been on several scenes where I'm like, man, you could have really de-escalated that. Um, or, think, you know, think, go ahead. Think about it this way, that think of the police officer, the school principal. School principal shows up, everybody kind of like straightens up a little bit and starts to go, can't do this, can't do that. That's kind of like how they are, in a sense, as far as how they portray within a given community um it's now up to them to show that community that we are not this way this is how we are and i will continually show this until you see and understand that this is how we really are and i think that's really the only way you're going to get through to any community is you have to on blind faith show them that you are willing to be the person you say you are um, i think until that point people aren't really going to listen to you because words are what they are. Words can be said by anybody and it doesn't matter how much you say more matters how much you do. So, and if you've noticed with the things that are going on, it seems like something happens. The police then are put on trial for whatever it is and then nothing happens. And so, you know, right there, everyone looks at that and says, well, then what is the point? What is the point of saying anything or doing anything if you can legally just get away with killing somebody or shooting somebody, however you want to term it? Um, mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I think really it comes down to them just getting back out on the street and getting to know their communities. I mean, whether they live in that community or not, if that's where you're patrolling, then you need to get out there and know the people, let them see your face. Because and I, I know that's, that's, that's probably easier being... Easier said than done because, yeah. I mean, we can always quarterback it from our spot and say, oh, Absolutely. you need to get out of there. Absolutely. But um, I, and I do feel like it's not all on police officers. It's no. on community, too. We have to um, we have to take control of our own communities. And that's a whole nother discussion that I could get into mm -hmm. about, you know, what we need to do, like, um. You know, and I'm not saying everybody should do it, but I volunteer with young people um, that look like me for over 10 years. And I because I got tired of saying, oh, somebody should do something. So I found something constructive for them to do. And I did it. And I saw that it changed, you know, some of their lives. You know, I just feel like if everybody could do that, we could change our communities. Now, do does the community have to do work, too? Yes. Yeah, it's not absolutely. all on the police officers. The community has to do work, too. But. I think back to what Will said, um, the conditioning plays a part, mm -hmm. the um, mentality plays a part. And, you know, to sum it up, I would say this. I think that our 
police officer training needs to be better. I'm glad that 32 out of, I think, 32 out of the 65 departments that are, that are in the U.S. Uh, have banned the chokehold. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the others are trying to get there, but I think that we need to have concentrating. I think we need to try to put these uh, psychological counselors in the cars. I think that would help curtail some of the shootings or incidents. Um, but I think we're going to have a hard pushback from the police unions. And uh, yeah, and that's just my thing with police training. Now, I know that, you know, we have some other uh, other aspects of police reform that we're going to talk about because this is more than a one one off. It's going to be a series. I don't know how many we're going to do. How many do you think we're going to do, KT? I don't know. I have no, no idea. Oh, yeah, yeah. At least two or three for right now. Yeah, and I would encourage, yeah, so two or three. So I encourage people that are listening. This is just the first part. We're talking about uh, police training, and we're focused on that training. I'd also encourage people to look up the George <laughs> Floyd bill. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure people want to, I mean, people say they want to clean up the streets and make things right. Police reform <clears throat> is it, and why is it being held up? I don't want to get into the political part of it. Right. But this, after seeing George Floyd murdered on live, on social media, I think we need to clean it up. I, I just think that it has to stop. So look up people, if you're listening, subscribe to us, look up that George Floyd bill, look at what it it uh, talks about. And um, that's pretty much all I have. Uh, you got anything, KT? Will, maybe Will want to chime in or before we get out of here, I know. Yeah, man, I think the... I, I th- I think the uh, defunding the police, um, probably bad, bad verbiage, but I think yes. refunding, refunding the police might be a better way of looking at it. Reappropriating. And, and reappropriating <laughs> yeah. that money. And yeah. it isn't taking money away from these police, these police no. officers, or the, 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 the things they need in order to make sure that they can, you know, enact, enact their, uh, their job at the highest uh, level possible. I think it's that, they need assistance and they're inundated just like the teachers are inundated and right. just like most public service, we're, we're here to serve the public, but a lot of times that money is not allocated as beneficial as possible. And it's usually on the top end coming down that that money doesn't make it to where it really needs to be. But I think if we were to reach out and actually make a change when it comes to the funding of the police department, and making sure that those funds get to where those the, the people need it, there would be a little bit of a change there. There would be an attitude shift away from uh, maybe the, the 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 power and the leverage that the police unions have mm-hmm. over uh, municipalities. Um, but that's a whole nother that's a whole nother one right there. Mm. Yeah, well said. There are several, I guess, several layers to all of this that you can almost not talk about one without merging into the other. Um, but yes, I do believe that the refunding, reappropriating the funds is a start to at least making that change from the top. Um, you know, the community yes. issue is making the change from the other end. Um, but all of it has to be, all of it has to happen. Um, and how it happens, I guess, I don't know. I mean, one by one, person by person. I, I mean, I do think I they've made a start. They made a start. You know, with everything being on social media now and being visible, people are actually like in middle America. I hate when they say that. I shouldn't even say the middle America because that's cold. Like evangelical in middle America is cold for just white people. I mean, I'm just keep it real, people. I'm sorry. They're starting to see that. Whoa, you know, black people getting killed for no reason. Like that George Floyd thing shook people up. Like really like. Black people was like, man, that happened in the hood every day. Not every day, but often. And then other people were like, man, that is crazy. You know, I can't believe that happened. Could go all the the way back to Rodney King. Exactly. You know, so I think that we have another generation. But I think this generation is more with the whole social justice. When I say generation, Mm -hmm. I mean black and white, Latino, everybody. The younger generation, they're just not with the, yeah, they're not with the old standards. Right. And they're not with the um, the subtleness of um, conditioning and racism. They're kind of like over that, you know. So I do think it's headed in the right direction. 
Right. Um, again, I want to say for, you know, I'm with Will. I have an uncle that is a police officer for over 20 some years, but I still say and me and him disagree on some things, but I know it's a dangerous job. You know, I pray for him and his family that nothing happens to him, but I do think it is some training that needs some more training that needs to be done right. to better their tactics. Right. Well, I'd like to right. just interject yeah. real quick. Uh, there is a wonderful book when it comes to social action called You Can't Stand Still on a Moving Train by mm. Howard Zinn. Howard yeah. Zinn is a, he's a great, great, uh, great history uh, in and of himself. But yes. social, social action does start with one or two people. And that's, sure just how it works. that's just how it works. Everybody feels powerless. And what are we going to do and how are we going to make a change? Well, you get up, you start moving your feet. Yep. You make change. That, that's how it happens. So um, I'm glad y'all are doing these podcasts. I'm speaking about um, topics that need to be spoke on and articulated mm-hmm. on in a, in a, you know, a very uh, calm fashion. We try. But those conversations need to be had, but they need to be had over and over and over again until right. enough people hear it to where things actually do change. So I appreciate y'all for having me on, y'all. Yeah, no problem. You're welcome, man. I'm glad to have you anytime. All, All right. right. With that being said, then I will say thank you for listening to another episode of A Conversation with Open Minds. Should wherever you listen to your podcast, please don't forget to subscribe. And always remember to have a conversation with an open mind. Thank you and good night. <laughs>